what I always tell people is as a consumer, when you're going to go out and buy a TV for your house, you study it online, you look at all of the uh, different aspects of every different TV, you then shop price, then travel 20 miles to get the best deal. Because as consumers, we want what we want for our money. When it comes to title insurance, which is protecting what's probably the greatest financial asset of someone's entire life, people pretty much cede that control to their attorney. Welcome everybody to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. We have a value-packed episode for you today. We're gonna to be speaking with Michael Holtman. He's the CEO of Hallmark Abstract Service, a company he started with his wife, Linda, back in 2008. Uh, we're gonna dive into the really the deep details of something that uh, is a part of every real estate transaction, but most of us don't really know the ins and outs of. So I'm really excited for today. Michael, thanks for joining us. How are we doing? We're doing great, James. And thank you very much for having me. It's a it's an honor. I've I've seen your podcast episodes and you do a great job. At one point in one of them, I think your year end, you said you didn't know if you were uh, cut out for doing podcasts. Yeah. Um are. I I, uh, I I knew I wasn't cut out for them. This is uh, you know, really out of my comfort zone. I'm not I'm not someone that that um, at least historically was really comfortable getting in front of a camera and, you know, certainly not, you know, producing anything that was going to the masses. But we, we're having a blast, man. We're really we're, we're finding that uh, the, the guests are are having a good time. We're able to communicate and get the message out and uh, we're having fun. You know, I've got to tell you. Well, that's the bottom line. And that's when it. you watch something, you can tell if someone's having fun or just going through the motions and you can tell you're having fun. So that's that's half the battle. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. We're going to folks, we're going to dive right into to the title side of it. But we're also going to talk about the philanthropic efforts uh, of Michael and his wife, because he's a part of something that uh, hits home for me. It's very special to me. And we'll get into why. Uh, but he, he has put together something that's quite remarkable and uh, absolutely requires us to, to talk about in, in depth as we move along. But let's start first um, with, give us the history. I mean, you, you're, you're out, out there in Long Island. You've got a location uh, on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, uh, quite a lot of success. How did you get into the title industry? Uh, it's actually an interesting story, James. And, uh, you know, it goes along with your book of, of, overcoming adversity of, of dealing with it, of facing it, and then, you know, hopefully coming to a solution. So uh, in 2000, well, let me go back a little bit further. So, you know, I went to business school. I was a Wall Street trader. I was a Wall Street bond analyst. Uh, my wife was on Wall Street. She was a, a bond analyst and also a bond trader. And uh, through the years, you know, I dealt with, with, uh, mortgage-backed bonds. So I kind of knew knew the ins and outs of title to an extent. You know, I, I knew its importance to the industry. And over time, my wife went to a family business, which was hard money residential construction lending. Wow. And they would be collateralized by land. And if there's anything more important than title insurance there, you know, I don't know what that is. So, you know, she was very well versed in title insurance. I actually, I uh, was a, after I was a bond trader, I became an equity trader. And then in the early 2000s, I started a commercial mortgage lending company. So once again, 
title insurance was a, a key aspect of that. So uh, and then we got to 2008. And 2008, as I, you know, I don't have to tell anybody, was a, was a horrendous time. My, uh, my commercial mortgage lending company from a Friday to a Monday was no longer viable. Yeah. You know, my wife being a hard money residential construction lender in the most illiquid part of the real estate market with not necessarily a, a level borrowers, you know, they were in trouble. You know, the bank pulled their credit, their uh, warehouse line. So 2008 found us both with non-viable businesses and two girls in college. Wow. With a son at home. And we needed to reinvent. We needed to, and quickly, you know, we, we didn't have the, you know, 2008, we also lost all our money or the, the vast majority of it. So, you know, it was a time of, of really hustling, figuring out what to do, and then implementing the plan. So we had actually met someone who uh, had been working at a title company who didn't like the way that her, the owner was doing business. We hired her. And from there, it's, uh, you know, the, the, uh, some of the obstacles early on were, were fairly significant because the best underwriters didn't want to take you on at that time. They were actually getting rid of people. The lawyers don't want to use secondary underwriters. So it was a, you know, it was a dance, but 12 years later, we've, we've done better every year. And, uh, you know, here we are. Well, that, that's, that's tremendous. And uh, God bless you for the tenacity and, and staying with it and reinventing yourself. Um, was there any other tie-in from the family? I mean, it, it, it all centers around real estate. Was there anyone else in the family that was involved in real estate in one way or another, or did it just happen organically? Well, her father started the company. He had sold a business. He'd actually done the duct work in the Sears Tower in Chicago. Oh, wow. He sold the company and he was looking for something to do. And this is, it was actually a great business. You know, you're, you're at 50 LTV, you're collateralized by the land. He used to say nothing could, he used to say the only thing that could go wrong is a nuclear bomb hitting Mm -hmm. Long Island. And I guess you could say that 2008 was uh, similar to a financial nuclear bomb. So without a doubt. Yeah. So it, uh, so he was involved, definitely. He was the, uh, the consigliere of the uh, organization. Actually, he's the CEO. So for the benefit of the audience, um, so we've got a pretty wide berth now with, with who we speak to through this podcast. I just want to take a moment to go back and explain to folks exactly what you mean by a hard money lender sure. uh, on vacant land and, and new construction transactions. So uh, in essence, folks, what Linda would do uh, is if you were a builder and Michael jump in at any time and let me know if I'm, if I'm moving off script here, if you were a builder and you wanted to purchase a piece of property uh, to build, what were they residential? Were you doing one family homes, two family homes? One family for the most part. Okay. So you have a piece of property, let's say uh, for $500,000 that you want to purchase. Linda would provide the service uh, instead of going to a traditional bank uh, and going through a, a very extensive and very painful process uh, from a document perspective of getting qualified uh, and the time period it would take. Traditionally, you're, you're, you were talking about easily 60 to 90 days to well, get an approval. If I, if I might jump in for one second. Sure. Because they didn't typically lend on land. The land okay. would typically be free and clear. 
So they would get be collateralized by free and clear land. Wow. They would they would fund the construction money and the construction loans would be paid in increments. So when the foundation went in, they would get paid when the when the uh, the what do you call it? The framing. The framing. There you go. When the framing was up, they'd get paid. So actually, most of their borrowers would not even qualify for a traditional bank. And um, if the deal made sense, they would actually get an approval and they could overnight. So, you know, they had people who would go out, look at the land, they would know the areas and they would lend an amount commensurate with what a house should be in that area. So it was a very clean business. So um, the only thing better than doing a deal where you're financing a portion of the land and a portion of the construction is when you have the land free and clear and you're financing just the construction. So to give the audience some perspective, I did a deal many, many, many years ago. People hear hard money lending and and, uh, they may get the wrong impression. Uh, I paid 15% plus three points. So it was 18%. uh, But the deal was such a good deal. And there was so much room in it, but I had to act quick. I had to mobilize and I had to close. It was, I think, two weeks or a three-week deal. We're going back quite a ways. But hard money was the solution for me. It was uh, Back then, it was Victor Freudman, for those in the audience who remember. Uh, Victor did the deal for me. And like I said, 15% interest. Uh, there was a eight-month minimum on, on the, the loan that I had to pay back and uh, three points. But there was so much room in the deal. And because I was able to perform as quickly as I was with the support of Victor, um, that we did very well with it. So uh, you guys would come in, you would provide a first position mortgage on the land, right? And then uh, you did, you said work and place loans. So dry wells go in, a tranche goes out. Foundations go in, a tranche goes out. Uh, Framing goes up, a tranche goes out. So that the builder can pay their subs. The loans, because they had a federal exemption were 2% a month with no points. So you only paid as you drew money down so that if you could get in and out of the deal in nine months, it was actually much cheaper than 15 and three because the 15 and three, you're paying on the entire amount from the beginning. So it was a good, they were in demand. Yeah. And and there's still a place for that, you know, no question. there's still a place. And I think with where we're headed in the market, um, unfortunately, I think that there's a a tsunami of foreclosures coming and uh, banks are going to be looking to dispose of paper very quickly. uh, And there's going to be, um, you know, if you had money or like they like to say on Wall Street, if you had dry powder, you know, in 2008, you could get some phenomenal deals. Tremendous deals. And it's going to be the same this time. You're I right. sold the deal uh, for, I believe Banco Popular was was on the note uh, and Capital One. I think it was a syndicated deal. <clears throat> it was two buildings that were maybe 90% complete. Um, the face value or par value of the notes combined were... 25 or 26 million. We sold the the notes for 12. The sellout between the two buildings, when it was all said and done, was over 80 million. Unbelievable. So there's some some opportunity coming, folks. You've heard me talk about it. 
<clears throat> and um, I'm going to say it again, keep that powder dry because I do believe in 2021, there's going to be some unique opportunities. So let's get back to, to the primary reason that we're here today, <clears throat> title insurance. Yes, sir. If, if you could really start with the absolute basics, right? What is title insurance? Okay, so title insurance, unlike most insurance. So most insurance, you buy health insurance. You're insuring yourself against something that may happen in the future. Homeowners insurance, again, something that may happen in the future. All insurance, for the most part, is forward-looking, protecting you against something that may happen. Title insurance is one of the few that looks backwards. And what it does is go back, takes the piece of property, the home, and goes back, it could be 50 years, and looks at every mortgage, every assignment, every uh, every uh, fine, every whatever it is that's on that property. And you're basically going back and you're making sure that when your buyer is closing on that deal, that they have good, clean, clear title to that property. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they're paying for. They're paying a title insurance premium to ensure that nobody can come in and say, hey, you know what? I have a mortgage on that property. I have a prior lien. So we protect buyers from that type of situation. And those types of situations actually occur a lot more frequently than one would expect. So folks, it's not just the glaring issue of uh, a mortgage that was missed or a lien that was missed. Um, there are <clears throat> instances where there can be a, a complex chain of title and in a state uh, with an executor and, and uh, documents weren't signed properly. And, and now where we could be 20 years, 30 years, uh, like Michael said, we could be 50 years later and somebody wants to contest it and say, hold on a minute. Wait, that, that's not what we had agreed to back when this was in an estate. And they can actually file a claim against your property. So title insurance at that point kicks in and provides protection for you, the purchaser, to insure against any claims that may occur uh, on the property. So <clears throat> we, I can give you a quick example of what can happen where we'll tell one of it doesn't happen often, but where we will, where we will tell our client, the buyer, we don't think that the deal should be completed because they basically be buying a lawsuit. Okay. So there was a husband and wife who owned a house, joint tenants with rights to survivorship. The husband owed a lumber yard a certain sum of money. The lumber yard got a judgment and sold it, and in lieu of the judgment they took half the house. So they were 50% owners and the wife was a 50% owner. Now, if the wife died first, because it's joint tenants with rights of survivorship, they would get the house. If the husband died first, they would get nothing because the wife would get the house. In any event, the wife did die first. So now these, the third party is the owner of the house and they're going to sell it to my client. However, they had never advertised the fact that the judgment was being sold. The heirs had never had a chance to, to speak 
So basically, if our client bought the house, they're basically buying the potential for an heir to come in at any time and say, you know what, that whole thing was done wrong and I am the owner of the house. So wow. it, it's it, an interesting situation of how situations can arise. So what about things like um, forgeries, previous forgeries or, um, you know, a, 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 a deed not being recorded properly? Does title insurance protect against those types of things also? Well, here's the situation. There could be a title claim for those things. As a title company, we can only know what we can know. So let's say a deed was never recorded. We have no way to know that. So, but if a deed, we can only know what we know. But if there was a forgery, then in fact, they would likely be, have a valid title claim. Right. In that case, the underwriter would be responsible you know, if it's something that we miss as a title company, that's where our errors and emissions insurance comes in. But we've been fortunate in 12 years to never have a valid title claim. And that's that's a badge of honor we wear very proudly. Without a doubt. So, folks, for those of you that <clears throat> don't understand, well, what, what does that mean? If, if uh, you know, it's not that they got lucky. They've got underwriters that are going through your title policy and they're looking for these types of exemptions that would have to be called out and addressed prior to closing, correct? Correct. Okay. So um, most folks go in and they speak to their attorney and it just appears on their closing statement. And this is what title is and you pay it and that's the end of it. But does that have to be the end of it? Do you have the right to select a title company? as the purchaser? Yes, you do. So, you know, one of the things I spend a lot of time doing as owner of the company is trying to educate people, you know, because as you said, title insurance, is not something anyone really thinks about. It's not on anyone's radar. They go in, they hire an attorney, they hire, the attorney at the closing says, write a check to ABC title company. And they do after bitching about how much the premium is, but <laughs> which happens, but what I always tell people is as a consumer, when you're going to go out and buy a TV for your house, you study it online, you look at all of the uh, different aspects of every different TV, you then shop price, you'll, you'll then travel 20 miles to, to get the best deal on the TV. Right. Because as consumers, we want what we want for our money. When it comes to title insurance, which is protecting what's probably the greatest financial asset of someone's entire life, people pretty much cede that control to their attorney. So, you know, part of the education that I, I tell people is, and it, it's regardless of who you use for title, is one, who's the underwriter of your policy? You know, as I mentioned early on, when we first started, we were on with secondary insurers. In the financial crisis, unfortunately, a couple went out of business. So people who had bought title insurance from those companies are uninsured. Wow. Which is why today we only underwrite through the largest and best capitalized insurance companies out there because like with any insurance, you pay the premiums. They're good at taking the premiums, but I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but they're good at taking the reservations, not so good at keeping the reservations. <laughs> but they, they take the premiums, but 
when it comes time, if you do have a claim, you want to make sure that those people can pay the claim. So, you know, who the underwriter is, is definitely a, a key. Then there's uh, the aspect of the title bill. So you'll get a title bill when you give, uh, you sign the contract, your attorney will send the, the contract to their title company and they'll send you back a title bill. The premium is going to be the same regardless of who you use, but there are other fees on the title bill that could be different. So the premium is, is fixed. Is that, is that, yes. doesn't matter who you go to. That's a, that's a, a set calculation. Correct. And Correct. does it go by state? Uh, well, we're in New York. It goes, yeah, each state has a different schedule. So okay. in New York, the premium varies by the price of the house or the price of the commercial building. Okay. So the other fees on the bill, what they call the junk fees, the ancillary fees, you know, the, uh, the searches, the Patriot search, the uh, municipal search, you know, all of those things. The, the title closer fees, do they charge for this, that, and the other thing? They can vary by hundreds of dollars. So really? what we usually advise people is whoever it is you're using for title, get a second opinion. You know, you get a second opinion on everything. But get us, you know, when you're going to do renovations on your house, you don't go to one guy, you go to three guys. Right. And you don't necessarily choose the cheapest, but get an idea of what the job is worth. Same thing with this. And if somebody came to us for a second opinion and our bill was lower in cost, they can go back to their attorney and say, look at this, go back to the title company and tell them that they need to adjust their fees. Wow. So uh, that's something that uh, I can guarantee you most of the, the folks in the audience didn't know. It took me a couple of years in the business before I realized this. So folks, basically what Michael is saying here is... <coughs> outside of the fixed cost for the premium, which is going to be the same no matter where you go. So first of all, you have a right to go where you want to go. You can go out, you can price shop this. Um, the additional fees, the, the pickup fees and uh, the title review fee and the title closer fee and all these other fees that Michael referred to as junk fees are negotiable. Uh, so make sure that this is something you're taking a, a close look at because they add up and they add up pretty quickly. Now, are there any fees that go beyond the closing or is everything paid? Is this something that you pay every year, every month? Is this a one-shot deal? Uh, the title insurance is a one-time premium. You pay it once. Uh, there are recording fees that are included in the closing. We take care of everything. The, whatever title company takes care of everything. And you're done. Money's so, like, there could be money's held in escrow for various things but for the most part when the, you're done with the closing you're done so if you're in the process uh when is it appropriate to start shopping around for title i mean literally you could do it before you even find your subject house but your you, as soon as the contract's signed typically the attorney is going to send it to the title company but uh, we actually have software, and I, I had sent um, the link to Becca, where somebody can put in the price of the house that they're looking to buy, the mortgage amount that they're looking to get, and they'll print out a title bill. So before they even go to the closing table, they can get an idea of what their title fees should be. 
you've got a really great calculator on the site too uh, yeah. that folks can go in and, and play around and get a really good estimate on uh, not just the title cost, but the closing cost. What's the website address for folks that want to reference that? Uh, HallmarkAbstractLLC.com. Got it. So you're making this payment, you're closing your deal. Is there any other, um, so for example, let's say it's you own the house. You let's say you took out a thirty-year mortgage, okay, um, and you're now in year thirty-one. You've been blessed. You've paid your home off or your property off. What happens in year thirty-one or thirty-two or thirty-five? Does coverage end at the time no. that the note is paid off? No, coverage does not end. The coverage for the lender. So when you take a when you buy a house, there's a lender's policy and an owner's policy. Mm -hmm. The owner pays for the owner's policy and the lender will require a policy protecting them. Your owner's policy is there for the lifetime of your ownership. The lender's policy, if the mortgage is satisfied, obviously they no longer need the coverage and the coverage there will lapse, but your owner's policy is good until you are, until you sell the house. So uh, in short folks, again, just to, boil it down for the audience uh, at the closing table because the bank is funding for you 80%, 90%, in some cases, 100%, 60%, whatever portion that the bank is, is providing for you in the cap stack, um, they need to also be protected now. They need to make sure that there's no claims against them. So you're actually getting two separate policies. Now, the buyer is paying for the bank policy also? Yes, the buyer pays for the bank policy as well. So, you know, it, um, but it, again, it, in context of what you're paying for your house. So I had run a, uh, you have a house for sale at 25 Midland Avenue. Mm -hmm. I had run a sample bill based on a million seven twenty five purchase price, a million two thirty two mortgage, 30% down. So the owner's policy is a little over six. $6,800. And the lender's policy is about 1275 So those, that's the price of those two policies for that house at Midland Avenue. So, and those are the fixed premium prices? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. So how long does the process take from uh, the point that you're retained, <clears throat> how long does it take and what actually happens? How do you pull the searches? What does that whole thing look like? Okay. So we have third-party vendors we use who actually go to the records and get us the abstract of everything there is to know about that, about that property. Uh, with COVID, it's been a struggle in uh, most uh, most towns and counties and some worse than others. So, you know, we, uh, the town of Smithtown on Long Island, they don't even answer their phones. So in before COVID, if somebody came to us with an order, they would typically, the attorney would typically have a completed title back within a week, which is, you know, well, well before 
the the deal is going to close so lightning fast actually that's really really fast yeah so the the information we get from our third party vendors we have a, a title officer who reads it assimilates it and then creates the title policy and she is uh, we're very fortunate to have the person that we have she's a gem so you know depending on who you have doing it depending on you know the speed with which you can do it i mean i think it's not unreasonable to think that somebody should have a whatever company you're using i think a two-week window pre-covid should be reasonable yeah well, i would say it's more than reasonable um you know we've come up against uh, many instances where um believe it or not where you know we've cleared conditions with the bank uh, and you know we're ready to go to a closing, and we we often hear back they're still working on title or title hasn't been cleared yet. Um, Which we work when we get a deal that has any issues, you know, there's a uh, there's a mortgage that was never satisfied, or you know whatever it is, we we work to alleviate the attorney's need to do as much as possible, so that when the attorney gets the title it's for the most part as clear as we can make it. Sometimes the attorney, so we have a saying, our, our tagline or one of our taglines is, we've never been to a closing where the title wasn't clear. And while that on the surface, obviously, but um, you know, we work to, to get it done and to take as much off the attorney's plate as we possibly can, because obviously they're, they're busy. So I have to ask, um... And, and this will tie into COVID. So we've invested very heavily in technology over the years. Um, you know, we had seen pretty early that the disruption was going to be profound. Yes. Um, digital assets for us have become uh, woven into the, 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 you know, the very fiber of everything that we do here as a company. You guys have a pretty slick app. And I wonder how much of what you do has been disrupted by technology. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about what technology you are deploying and, and how does that tie into the title world? Well, so years ago, maybe it was three years ago or four years ago, they started talking blockchain. Yep. And they started talking about how the blockchain was going was gonna to destroy the title industry and it, or take over. And, and I had written articles about it at the time because you know anyone who's ever, first of all, the, the counties and towns are broke. So unless they enlisted the help of a third party and, and the information that they would have to put in the blockchain is so vast and, and far flung and who is providing the information that's put in the blockchain that I can rely on? Anyway, long story short, I didn't think that technology was going to be a disruptor, and, and to date, it has not been. So when, uh, when COVID hit, immediately, we started as a firm figuring the way to do a remote closing, you know, whether it was DocuSign with Zoom with, you know, all, whatever way we could figure out so that closings could still take place. And it took a little while for the industry as a whole, for underwriters to accept it. Many banks would not accept it. 
you know, many more, many lenders would not accept uh, virtual notarizations, but, you know, and actually some of the solutions were extremely low tech to COVID. Drive-by signings, going yeah. to somebody's house, sitting outside their screen door and watching them sign through a window. We have attorneys where, you know, we, we had a, we'd have a closer who would go, drop the package off in front, watch through the window as things got done. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's been a project of innovation and really having to think outside the box. But, you know, thank God Cuomo or uh, Governor Cuomo uh, enacted the executive order allowing for virtual notarizations. Yeah. That not happened, it would have been a big problem. But as far as other technology, you know, we have our, our app that allows buyers and sellers to, you know, figure title bills, uh, buy versus sell analysis. I mean, it's, we developed that in conjunction with a third party because in our mind, it was a great tool for you, the real estate agent, for the real estate attorney, for the mortgage broker, for the home buyer, for the home seller, you know, to figure out information about a closing that otherwise they're, they're pretty much in the dark about. Yeah. So we thought it was a, uh, that kind of technology is a great tool. Without a doubt. Um, are the municipalities online much? <clears throat> are you able to source a lot of the data online or do you still have to send folks? Let's, let's take COVID out of the equation for a moment. Or do you still have to go down to the County clerk and do a lot of this manually or? You do, or even if not manually, you know, a lot of stuff is online, but accumulating it, putting together the package, we do still, for the most part, send people to, to the counties, whether they're doing it virtually or in person. In person is very difficult, but um, of the boroughs, Staten Island is really the only one who's not on the, um, the uh, electronic filing. Yep. Yep. I, I know all about it. <laughs> Actually, the um, when I, I did that CLE I mentioned at uh, St. John's, the head of the building department in Staten Island was there and she was great. Good but, stuff. Yeah, that's good to hear. So you touched on something um, earlier that I think is, is fascinating. And I, I wanted to expand upon it a little bit for the audience. So Michael talked about blockchain verification. And there's a lot of chatter and there's a lot of noise out there in the industry about being able to, through blockchain verification, eliminate the need for a title policy. Now, just to give some context and some perspective here, essentially what those people are proposing is that if something can be verified with such surety that you wouldn't need to insure against any type of a claim. You would have to have, I, I don't even understand the genesis of where they came up with, with how this would apply. There would have to be such pristine information that would have to have been relied upon from the most untouchable sources to, I, like I don't even get and there's a lot of chatter about blockchain verification and a lot of people who get excited about, oh, we can, we can possibly get away from title pr uh, uh, premiums. Folks, pay your title premium, okay? This is something that 
um, of all the things and all the ancillary places where we can pick up a couple of bucks along the way through a real estate deal, title insurance is not the place you want to play around. You need to. I might add, neither is the attorney. You know, people, I can't tell you the number of people who say, you know what, this attorney's $2,000, but I I got a guy who'll do it for $9.99. It's like you're buying the most expensive asset of your life. Why wouldn't you go with a guy who who does real estate for a living and who's going to ensure that there are no issues? It's hard to understand. No, you get what you pay for. Right. Uh, Plain and simple. So this is not a a place, folks, um, to play around. You want to make sure that you're using a a well-seasoned, well-versed attorney and that you're going to, is it still the big three, Michael? Is it the big three insurers that are out there? Uh, you got Stewart, you got Old Republic, First American, and Fidelity. Fidelity, the big four. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure that your your policy is being underwritten by one of the big four. As Michael had mentioned earlier, uh, it can be quite a nightmare if you're you're going through a different carrier and you wake up one day and folks are out of business. Um, title yeah. is, is that's the, that's really the key that unlocks the security for you uh, in these investments. So well, tag um, is title is vital. Title is vital. I like that. Good stuff. So COVID yeah. um, it's turned our industry upside down. Uh, it's had a, a really profound impact in, in how, how we do, basically everything, every step in the process, but especially on the marketing side. Are there any other things that you've seen uh, impact on the title side with COVID or is it limited to, to what we had talked on earlier? You know what? It's pretty much limited to the mechanics of, of a closing. You know, that's been the largest single factor that's impacted the, our industry. I mean, I know with with real estate, it was like in-person closings versus virtual closing uh, showings. And it was, you know, how do you show an apartment if you can't take someone there to look at it? So yeah. our impact was, was I think, much less impactful than for the real estate industry as a whole. So we actually sold um, during COVID our first listing where uh the purchaser never set foot in the house until the closing. It's amazing. It, it really is. The technologies out there are so sharp and so neat that um, you really can get a fully immersive experience. And if you if you have the Matterport tours, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, we're, we're actually contemplating, and we had talked about this a few episodes ago, uh, we're actually contemplating making it a requirement before we let someone in the home, especially during you know, all this craziness that they must have gone through the virtual tour because it becomes a reshow at that point. Right. That's yeah, how no, accurate they are. So, yeah, no, no question. But you know what? Technology wise, surveys by drone are starting to get more, uh, more common. So that is a, that's one other piece of technology that has come into play. It was, it was kind of in play before COVID, but, you know, a, a drone survey is quicker can be cheaper. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you've done some out of the box things. We're going to get to the fun stuff now, folks. We covered the important stuff and the value. 
So you've done your fair share of charity work and given back in some odd ways. So uh, everything from the polar bear plunge to boxing and rappelling off a 17-story building. Can you talk a little bit about the passion, uh, some of these events, what drives you? And then I want to get to the Heroes to Heroes Foundation. Right. So the uh, actually the polar bear plunge, my oldest daughter had donated bone marrow. And she was wow. She was a, an advocate for she was doing a um, a fundraiser, and as a way to build awareness, I decided to do the polar bear plunge with my son. I know a PR guy who got me News Twelve and uh, the Daily News, so it worked out fairly well. It was hard to breathe in the water, but um, you know what? It was a it was a good experience. I, when I got to about fifty. <clears throat> I started stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit more. So the boxing, uh, I was at a, uh, at a networking event and I overheard someone talking about the Long Island fight for charity. And I thought it sounded great. So I signed up, I raised 17 grand for uh, some great Long Island charities. God bless you. I trained at the Glencoe Boxing Club, which, um, you know, it's a real boxing club down a dirt road, you know, no, no, no frills club, but it was, and the, the main event was the Monday of Thanksgiving five years ago at the Hilton on Long Island in the ballroom with 1200 people in the audience. And it was, a again, outside of my comfort zone in a big way. Wow. So, so what, what drove you to, to do this? Have you always been been passionate about this? Is this something that as you've gotten more comfortable and enjoyed more success, it's evolved? Tell me a little bit more about it because it's fascinating. You know what? I've always been charitable, but in terms of going outside of the comfort zone to to engage in that charitable work, it's kind of, again, man, I don't know why, but kind of like at 50, I, I started doing that and uh, it's been great. My next thing is I think I'd like to skydive for a charity. Uh, well, we would be happy to be a participant <laughs> on the donation side. No, I'm not a fan of jumping out of perfectly safe airplanes. Uh, so I'll stay grounded. I pack my chute, I think. <laughs> well, I think it's wonderful. And I think that, you know, I had um, uh, a friend who he's become a friend. He was a, a, a colleague uh, who is very, very much uh, involved in charity. His name is Corey Shifter and um, he's a dynamic guy. He's, you know, I tell him he's kind of the face of Staten Island. He's, he's out there at these events and he, as you've done, he does out of the box things, right? It's not just your, uh, your normal charity. Any charity is wonderful and appreciated, but he took it to a different level as you have. Um, and it inspired me. Um, it inspired me to, you know, we do something called the season of giving here every year now where those types of things are impactful in many, many ways beyond the actual event or the actual work that you're doing for the charity. It really is inspirational. I applaud you for it. I think it's wonderful. And uh, please keep it up because we need, we need a lot more of that in this world today. So no question, which really interesting, which, um, 
took me to the to the Heroes to Heroes Foundation. So yes. again, I was at a at a business club in the city and a woman was sitting across from me doing work. I asked her what she was doing and she told me about the Heroes to Heroes Foundation. Through spirituality and a reconnection to faith, saving combat veterans at serious risk for death by suicide who were suffering with moral injury. And, you know, she told me the statistic of 20 vets a day take uh, dying by suicide. And that was an amazing. 20 vets a day? 20 plus. And COVID has been, you know, the loneliness and solitude of COVID has exacerbated the problem big. So, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing statistic, right? So shocking. You know, these guys come home, you see the, uh, the people who have physical injuries, that's, that's easy to see, but the people who have uh, unseen injuries, you don't know, you know, you don't know what they're going through. And, you know, moral injury is an interesting thing. You know, I don't know. Are you familiar with that? No. I mean, basically it's, it's, you've done something that's so abhorrent, so against everything you hold dear, you know, and one example is, you know, a guy who, was with his platoon and and a guy approached them with his 10-year-old son and he gave the 10-year-old son his gun. Oh. And you know, this this vet had to kill the 10-year-old and then he killed the father. And you know, you think about how do you get that out of your system? You know, it's not something someone's going to talk to me about. But the crux of our mission is, and it's non-denominational, we send teams of 12 vets to Israel the birthplace of religion. And, you know, there they find the strength to reconnect with their faith. And it's, it's amazing. So this vet who killed the 10 year old, it was coming out of the Holocaust music, going through the Holocaust museum where he realized, you know, what he did wasn't an atrocity. It was part of his job as a soldier. And he's with us today and in, in, uh, you know, healing. So, it's, we've sent over 300 vets, and it's in a phenomenal, phenomenal charity. You know, I had a, a podcast, I think it was last week, where we talked about the spending bill that was recently passed. And I was pretty animated and, and pretty upset about some of the things that were included in the bill you know, and this is the kind of, of stuff that, that brings it home. There is so much money available in this country. And there is so much waste in this country. The unimaginable sacrifice that our servicemen and women endure doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Correct. It doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And we, we quite simply don't take care of them the way that we should. And, and I can speak from experience here. My grandfather landed on D-Day. And this guy's tough as nails. This is a guy, for those of you who know Grandpa Joe, and we love Grandpa Joe, um, he stormed the beach. He marched through Europe. And he pretty much never talked about it. Um, as he's gotten older, he's now 96 years old. My son recently had a project for school 
um, you know, who was his hero. And, and he had picked my grandfather. Um, and he still can't talk about it. You know, he, he gave some, some short answers and he, he did what he had to do to help my grandson out, but he's still so profoundly impacted about what happened when he was overseas. Um, and they're not taking care of the way they should be. No. You know, I, he came back and he's, he's legally deaf from the shelling uh, when he had served. And some of the things they deal with over there, trying to get care and get treatment, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. But, you know, you think about, you know, I, I had mentioned, you know, you would, you would ask me if I had served and I, and I didn't, but I appreciate so much what these guys do and did that it's my responsibility. You know, I didn't have to serve because they did. My kids didn't have to serve because they did. And, you know, we owe them an incredible debt of gratitude. And, you know, like your grandfather, the woman's father who started this charity, her father was in Battle of the Bulge and he was second day Normandy, but, you know, never talked about it. And in those days, PTSD was not something that was, you know, it wasn't a thing. Yep. But, you know, I can't even fathom what your grandfather saw and did and had to deal with. So God bless him. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I appreciate you for what you're doing here. Um, Might I just give the uh, website? No, I, I, I apologize, folks. I'm, uh, I'm getting a little choked up <clears throat> when I talk about my grandfather As you should. and uh, the sacrifices he's made. So please, by all means, Share the website. How, how do we find the Heroes to Heroes Foundation and, and how do we find Hallmark? Right. So Heroes to Heroes is heroes, T-O, heroes.org. That's the website for the charity. And Hallmark Abstract Service is just hallmarkabstractllc.com. Great. And if anyone has any questions about title insurance, it's our pleasure to answer them. Whether you using a, a different firm or not, it doesn't matter. Well, folks, uh, at, at the, the bare minimum, I urge you to go check out the website. Uh, we played around on it. As I had said, there's a really neat calculator there. Uh, one of the questions we get all the time is what are our closing costs going to be? So I urge you to go check the calculator out. It was very easy to use, very easy to navigate. Um, definitely check out the website. Michael, thank you very much. Uh, we thank really you. appreciate you joining us today. Please extend our appreciation to Linda and um, keep and up the great work, man. This is really good stuff. You know what? The pleasure was all mine. You're great and you do a phenomenal job. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Everybody out there, um, we're turning the page here on 2020 and into 2021. Um, you know, <laughs> let's put this sucker in the rear view mirror <laughs> and uh, upward and onward, folks. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate yeah. you and stay safe.